you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've had a great, great, great weekend so far. It's good to see so many faces here and also those watching online. And uh, just before you're seated, we're going to get into this message today. Just turn around, look at someone, greet them. Um, just say something, you know, in your own language. They're all different languages. We got German, we got Dutch, we got Yoruba, Igbo, Portuguese, Spanish, Tree. Come on, somebody. Shona. Scottish, glory to God, amen, please, please take your seats, how many of you are blessed by the worship this weekend, and even though they're led by the Spirit of God, they still put in a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of practice, a lot of prayer, amen, Pastor Anthony, getting them all to do their harmonies, and you know, making sure they're all holy. Hallelujah. You could win a Brit Award, but we wouldn't let you get up here and worship if you were unholy. Because God would deal with that. John chapter 4, verse 39 through 42. This is the second part of uh, the encounter message with the woman at the well. There's going to be one more after this, and then we're going, to, we're going to just launch into the rest of this year. But this is the second part, the encounter at the well. We saw that there was a woman at the well and uh, in Samaria. She came, she met Jesus, she encountered him, and her life was transformed. That's generally what happens when you meet Jesus. How many of you have ever had an encounter with the living God? You've had an encounter with the one who is above everyone else, the name above every name, the one that met you in the mess and gave you a message. Come on, somebody. That's helped you in a test, so you have a testimony, right? And uh, powerful, powerful stuff happened. She went back into her village, into her town, and she started to testify. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And then we move on in verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus, because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Powerful. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us. In some translations it says, not just because of your testimony. Now we believe because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know, not now we think, not now we kind of believe because you said. It's not second hand here. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. What a powerful, powerful transformation that was taking place. And this is a powerful example of what happens when someone encounters Jesus and takes ownership of the experience. Some of you know there ain't no second-hand anointings that make any difference. There's a portion of Scripture in um, the book of Acts where there were some dudes called the sons of Sceva. Come on now. In, in our terminology today, the sons of schema, hallelujah, some, some sort of scheming dude. And they were his sons. And they, was, they, were, they were like, you know, exorcists. They had this, this little racket going where they were going around and, and, and trying to, you know, get people to feel better about themselves, probably. And sometimes they were casting out demons, you know, so it was said. And, and they came to this, this, this one place and they said, because of the 
the God of Paul and because of the God of, you know, someone else's anointing, we cast you out. In the name of, you know, Jesus who Paul of Nazareth, uh, Paul of Tarsus knows, you know, all that stuff. In the name of Pastor James, in the name of Pastor Anthony, we lift up our worship before you. And you know the story, what happened? Spirit said, shut up. Who are you? Who are you? Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? You can't go on someone else's anointing. You can't live a life of freedom based upon your pastor's anointing or the person who discipled you's anointing or someone else in the church's anointing or your parents' anointing. There has to be an ownership. There has to be a taking a hold of that thing for yourself. You ain't going to get set free of drugs and stay free of drugs if you're under your director's anointing or someone else's anointing. You have to take ownership for yourself. But when you do, your encounter with Jesus has the potential to bring change to whole families and cities. See, we have to get away from the thinking that it's just about us. This is something in the world, world today, society today, that is being compounded from everywhere. Just do you. Just think about yourself. Just take care of yourself. How many of you have ever been on a plane? Hallelujah. Right? When you're on a plane, they still do the stuff, and we all ignore it. When the steward or the stewardess gets up and starts showing you how to put on your, 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 your life vest and how to do this and how to do that, and they... You know, they're looking at the exits and the entrances. And I'm sitting there thinking, listen, if this goes bad, I'm just going to get sucked out of a hole in the fuselage. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're all going to go out the nearest exit anyway, normally. <laughs> but they do this one thing, don't they? They say, you know, in, in the event of an emergency, a mask will drop down from the compartment above you. Please place the mask over your own nose and mouth before putting it over someone else's. See, you have to take care of yourself. We're not saying that that's a bad thing. But the thing is this, right? The implied thing in that statement and what they're trying to do is say, listen, start breathing, get some breath for yourself and then look around and if your neighbor's not breathing, don't just sit there going, <laughs> I'm all right. It's okay, I'm... I'm <gasps> sitting at your neighbor going, can't get a mask. No, you have to deal with yourself. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to get your own deliverance. Yes. Why? Why do you need to be delivered? So that you can become a deliverer. It ain't about just meeting Jesus for yourself and then keeping it a secret. Imagine the woman went to the well and Jesus transformed her life, transformed her religion, transformed the way she looked at relationships, transformed the way she felt value. And then she went back into Samaria like a little ninja. <sighs> Where have you been? Nowhere. You look different, do I? How many of you know there's a lot of Christians like that? You can't help but your countenance change when you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can't help that your mind changes. You can't help that your possibilities and opportunities change. You can't help that one day you were walking around with this great big thing on your back, with some little demon on your shoulder, and Jesus comes along, and he goes flick, and he flicks it off, and he takes that hunch off your back. You set up straight. And people are looking at you saying, what's the matter with you? When I got saved, 1995, July, I was a drug addict. I was allegedly a drug dealer and a criminal. And I had this real bad thing happen, this real bad thing. Someone wanted to kill me. And it was like the third time. And it's like, oh gosh, you know, I've got to deal with this thing. So I went to see a friend of mine, grown up with, was a lunatic. Odd man, very tough man. We've done stuff together for years. I went to see him to get some help, some support to deal with this situation. 
right? I'm not going to go into, you know, all of the thinking and all of the madness, but it would have been very, very dark, very bad. And I remember going to his house thinking, I can trust this dude with my life. I can trust him with my liberty. I can trust him. I'm going to get some backup. When I knocked on his door, right, he's a lunatic. You know, he's, he's, he's a lump. Even now, he's like 58 or something, he's still a lump. You know what I mean? He's got muscles. He doesn't do what I do. He, has, he hasn't got the ministry I've got because I have to bubble wrap mine <laughs> to keep the men safe from being intimidated and keep the women from being infatuated. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's just bubble wrap, people. Vicky's looking at me like, I'm going to get you for that one later. <laughs> but he's still a lump, covered in tattoos. Looks like, a, you know, someone you wouldn't want to mess with. So I go around and knock on the door. He opens the door. And there's this almost a stranger looking at me. And I, I remember saying to him, you all right? He said, come in, bruv, come in. Because we're from East London, that's how we speak. Right? Come in, come in, come in, bruv. What's happening? Want a cup of tea? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him thinking there's something different about you. You must be, you're out of your nut. You've taken some drug. You're on ecstasy. Why are you doing ecstasy? I was thinking, why are you doing ecstasy in your house? On your own. You know, what you, because, you know, at that time, that drug was like the happy party drug. You know, dong, 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 dong. You'd be dancing all night, hugging people. You know what I mean? Them, the clubs back in the day where the ecstasy was all mad, and I thought he'd done an E in his house. You must be desperate, dude. What's, what are you doing? Putting the music on. <laughs> I can imagine him in his house just putting the music on, sweating. <laughs> but he had this countenance. He had this glow over him. He had this, this happiness, this, this carefree look that was, that was different to the frowning kind of, you know, serious, guarded look that we, we, we all used to carry when we were out in the world and we didn't really know it. Something was different. And I said to him, what's the matter with you? What's happened to you? What are you taking? And he said, bruv, he said, I've become a Christian. He said, Jesus has touched my life and changed my life. Jesus saved me and set me free. He was going to kill himself in a psychiatric hospital after having a breakdown. And he was about to kill himself. And he didn't, he was sitting there pondering what to do, wrestling. And there was in the little table was a little Gideon's New Testament. And he opened it and he read it. And he said, I was there for hours just reading this thing. It was just hitting me in the face. It was taking darkness off me. It was making a, 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 a sense out of my messed up thinking. He said, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He said, and now I don't want to kill myself. I'm not in that place anymore. And then he said, I'm not telling you about it. No, he didn't. Hallelujah. He said, what about you? Why don't you come and encounter this Jesus? And you have this opportunity because he owned it. And he got a mask over his nose and mouth and he was breathing in the air of heaven. Are you with me? He wasn't sucking in that no air in the midst of a plane that's, that's descending with no oxygen left. He wasn't dying slowly like we were when we were out there in the world. He was sucking in that oxygen and then he was saying, here's a mask. Let me help you out. Because he owned it. When you own something for yourself, there's something that comes from that. There's something that goes from that. There's something that's released from that. There's an authority that, that is released from that. There's a power that's released from that. There's a potential that's released from that. So the story here continues on from that woman's encounter at the well in Sychar. Nothing in the Bible is there by chance. The names, the dates, the timelines, everything. Even the weird stuff is there for a reason. If it's weird, you probably need to study it more. If it don't make sense, you probably need to dig into it because it's really deep and it's going to change your life. If you think it's contradictory, and some people say the Bible contradicts itself, I dare you, I dare you to prove that. 
Many people have, and what it does is it just ends up backing something else up. Sikar was a place that symbolized deception, excess, and a desire to lose oneself in forgetfulness. Because how many of you know when life is empty, when life is meaningless, when life, you know, when you've tried it, touched it, tasted it, smoked it, snorted it, licked it, watched it, slept with it, you've done all that stuff, and you're still left empty. When you're still left with with a hunger for something that you're not satisfied, when you're still left empty, then the only thing that you can do is try to forget. Try to numb yourself out, right? And that's why people do drugs. They do drugs because they're not attached to the, 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 the living God. They, they, they drink because they want to forget. They, 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 they have multiple relationships because they've got a hunger that's not satisfied. They do all of these things because there is this, this insatiable thing, this urge, this, this need inside of us that don't get met. And so they forget. They numb. They lose themselves. Sikar was symbolic of that. Symbolic of the lack of fulfillment of an exclusively natural lifestyle. You know, we live in the world, right? It's okay to be in the world. We live in the world. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to have a good job. It's okay to have a relationship. It's okay to go to the cinema. It's okay to, to have nice shoes, nice clothes, nice cars. It's, it's okay to have nice family, have meals around the table. It's, it's okay to have children and, and do all that stuff. It's okay. It's okay to have jobs and careers and businesses. It's okay. But when it's only natural... You're never going to have enough money. You're never going to enough, have enough shoes. Your car's never going to be good enough. Your house is never going to be big enough. Your business is never going to be successful enough. Your looks are never going to be good enough. Your lips are never going to be big enough. Your hair's never going to be straight enough. Your nails are never going to be long enough. Come on, somebody. Right? Your wrinkles are too big. You know what I mean? So people deal with their wrinkles until they can't even smile anymore. Right? It's never going to be enough if it's entirely natural. Sikar was that place. The woman was a symbol of that. She was a product of that. She had five husbands. The sixth one weren't even her husband. She'd had valueless relationships. She'd been cast off, rejected. She'd done wrong. She'd done this. She'd done that. She found herself out at the well in the midday sun on her own, not with all the rest of the women having a little chat about their old man. Come on. Collecting water at the well, talking about, oh, he was snoring last night. I couldn't. Are you with me? Where do you get your falafels? But Jesus appeared. Intentionally. Whenever Jesus appears, it's intentionally. None of us ever find him. He always finds us. He appeared and he showed up and he showed her who he was. He broke through her limitations to the point where she felt truly valued at the very core of her being. And her thirst was quenched by his reality. The result was a testimony. She became a witness to the reality of Christ. Come on, somebody. You know what a witness is? Some of you do because you've been one. Some of you have intimidated some. Some of you have had them stand up against you in court because this is victory outreach. Amen. What is a witness? Sometimes we say, you know, you need to be a witness to Christ. And people are like, what does that mean? A witness simply, simply, is someone who has seen, heard, or experienced something for themselves. And then shares that experience. You can't get up in court and testify in a court case and said, well, I heard it from someone else. Or... You know, Mrs. Miggins down the road told Shirley across the street, right? You can't do that. You're like, no, it's got to be you. It's got to be owned. You have to own it. It's got to be you. You have to experience it. You have to heard it. It's first-hand testimony. Are you with me? It's not hearsay. She came as that to the people. I've seen it. Listen, I've met this man. 
I've listened to what he said. I've experienced something in my life. Could this be the one that we've been praying for, believing for, that's been prophesied about? You can imagine all the people listening to her thinking, you are messed up, sister. What's the matter with you? We know your life, right? But when you get touched by Jesus in your mess, he brings a message out of it, right? I don't know about you. There's some messages in this place. The people that heard her testimony were probably the same people that knew her history. Sometimes that's difficult. Your mum and dad know you like they know like, like no one else knows you. They know you messed up. They can tell when you lie. Come on, somebody. I remember my mum when I got saved. It took her about six years to believe that it was real. She was always thinking it was a new fad. It was a new thing. It was a new thing. I'm trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. One day I'm going to pull the trigger. One day something's going to happen. One day the police are going to hit the door. One day they're going to find some mad stash. One day. Six years. I was a minister. I'd been through the home. I'd been to India. I'd been to Israel. I'd been a missionary. Now I'd passed me exams. I was a minister. I could marry and bury. I could sign her passport. I'm like, come on, mum. When are you going to accept that this thing's real? Because it's difficult when people know your history to believe your testimony. But your testimony is only there as a bridge. Your testimony is not the, 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 the end result. Your testimony is not the thing that nails things down. It is not the, the, the biggest thing in the world. Your testimony is the thing that draws people to Christ. That's what it does. That's what your witness does. Come and meet a man. Come and see a man. Come and check it out for yourself. What about you? But they listen. Because there's a divine empowerment that happens when you've encountered Jesus for yourself. God adds his super to our natural. And it breaks in pieces the things that wrap us up and twist our hearts and minds to keep us firmly locked into this world system. Power in it. But you've got to get ready to release it. You've got to be ready to release the message. You've got to be ready to share. You've got to be ready to get out and do something that's beyond the natural and to step into the supernatural. You've got to be ready. But as soon as she did that, it started off a catalogue of events. There's so much power in a simple testimony. I was brought to Christ through the testimony of a friend. How many of you were brought to church because someone testified? Come into that atmosphere of worship. Come and see this church, man. There's all different nationalities in there. There's all different age groups. Come, 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 come. You're going to meet someone. Come into this place where they take drug addicts. They take alcoholics. They take messed up people. Come into this place. Come, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and try it out. Come and listen to this dude. You know, he used to be an alleged gangster. He used to be an alleged criminal. The pastor. What, the pastor? Yeah, yeah, he was a drug addict. No, not him. He's too fat. He could never have been a drug addict. There's no way. I don't believe it. No, definitely. Come and see him for yourself. Come and meet him for yourself. Come and listen. Come and get involved. Come and see Sister Vicky. You know she's a cancer over, overcomer. Come and see Sister Vicky. You know she was messed up as well. No, not her. She's too beautiful. She's too wonderful. She's too amazing. She's too powerful. You know them guys that meet you as you come in. You know what their testimony is like? Oh, Pastor Anthony's testimony. He was a robber. He's an armed robber. He's got a collection of arms. <laughs> come and see these people come and meet these men in the home come and meet these women in the home a testimony come and try out Jesus for yourself it might not even be come to church it might be in your house it might be in your workplace listen what's the matter with you what's changed with you why, why do you look like that why don't you curse why don't you drink why don't you smoke I knew you did what happened to you I met Jesus what Child, he's not real. He's a fairy tale. He's like Father Christmas. He's like, he's like, he's like this one. He's like that one. He's a, he's a fairy tale. Yeah? Explain this. What about the dinosaurs? And they come with all this madness, all right? 
oh, I've, been, I've been touched by Jesus. Oh, yeah? Well, what about the dinosaurs? <laughs> are you a flat earther as well? Are you, you believing a flat earth, do you? Mr. and Mrs. Flat. I don't know what you're talking to me about, that stuff. You live in a flat. <laughs> Saw this thing on Facebook once. The flat earth has offices all around the globe. It's like... <laughs> Whoops. But sometimes people come with all this madness, but we have to be like the apostles. We have to be like the man who was healed. We have to be like the one that Jesus touched in the Bible to say, listen, I don't know about that. Who did this? Who did this? They did it on the Sabbath. Who was this man? He's, he says he's the Messiah. He's done it with the hand of Beelzebub. He's, he's casting out demons by, by the power of demons. Who is this man? Where's the dinosaurs? And the man that was still standing there said, I don't know about that. All I know is once I was lame and now I can walk. All I know is once I was blind and now I can see. All I know is that once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was under judgment and now I'm forgiven. Once I was out there and now I'm in. And then people come. But watch what happens. We see what happens. With the testimony and the message. Never underestimate your message. Some of you might have been, you know, in church since you were a fetus. Raised in the things of God. Never been out there. Never said boo to a goose. Right? But still, you have a testimony. I'll prove it to you. Little Toey. Little Toey in our gang. 17 years old. Huh? Preaching five minutes of fire before the, the main regional service. I have literally known him since he was about a fetus. Right? We've seen him rise up. My son's best friend. Growing up in church. But when he started to preach and he started to talk about faith, his testimony was just on fire. He was talking the, what he believed. He was talking what he knew. He wasn't talking his mum and dad's faith. And his mum and dad are faithful. And they're prayer warriors. And they're lovely people. And they're tremendous. But he wasn't talking about their experience. He was talking from his experience. That's why there was power in the room. That's why there was fire being released. That's, that's why people were getting touched. That's why people were shouting for him. Because they know his testimony is true who can testify right now about something that God's done in their life lift up your hand who can testify that God has done something in their life who can testify deliverance come on where you been delivered from shout it out depression anger drug addiction pornography rejection what was that one? Abandonment. Paranoia. Who's been healed in some way? Shout out where you've been healed from. Hep C. HIV. Come on, somebody. That's a powerful one. We have two people in this place today that were HIV positive with all of the signs, with all of the stuff, with all of the madness, with all of the stigma, but now both of them are non-detectable, undetectable. Their CD4 counts, CD counts are up there beyond normal. By the power of God. Who can testify? Who can testify that once they were lost and now they're found? Who can testify that they prayed and their drug-addicted child got saved? Who can testify that their parents are now in the Lord? Who can testify that their life is not the same as it was? Who can testify that their mindset has changed, that their heart has changed, that their direction has changed since they met Jesus? Who can testify? Who can stand and shout? I have a testimony of the glory of God. Once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was bound and now I'm free. Your testimony to the grace and the power of the living God is powerful. 
never underestimate it. Your responsibility is being a witness. Your responsibility is giving your testimony. What you're not responsible for is what other people do with it. They're responsible for that. And when I walked to my friend's house and I saw him change and I saw him different and he was speaking different and there was a difference about him. And he hugged me. And I'll be honest with you, I come from a world. I come from the streets of East London, man. You know what I mean? We're not going around in pubs and bars and clubs and on the street corners hugging each other. <laughs> Very often. You know what I mean? Unless we're at a football match and West Ham have won, I'll hug anyone then. But he hugged me. I thought, this is different. What's happened? I've met Jesus. What about you? See, there comes a moment in life. There comes a, a time and a place where you can't rely now on someone else's touch, someone else's experience, someone else's anointing. There comes a time as a child when you've grown up with godly parents that you have to make a decision for yourself. Just because they got baptized, don't mean to say you got wet. Right? Just because they got delivered, don't mean to say that the same power of God that was in them is in you. You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. All you have to do is give an invitation. That's the first thing I want you to write down or think about. Your testimony is an invitation to meet Jesus. An invitation is something that contains information about your experience, but what God really uses it, it, uses it for is to get them to the real encounter. That's what an invitation does. When you invite someone to church, you invite someone to a party, you invite someone to go somewhere, it's an opportunity for them to involve themselves, to engage, to turn up, to experience it for themselves. And that's what happened when the woman testified. And you have to understand that your life is an invitation. It's either going to be an invitation or it's going to be a vaccine against it. Come on, somebody. Someone said, how comes more people are not Christians today? How comes more people don't go to church? And someone said, because two reasons. They either haven't met a Christian or they have. Come on now. They either haven't had the invite or when they got the invite, it had chewing gum on it. It was stained. It was messed up. It had been chewed. They used it to pick their teeth. Come on, somebody. They hadn't looked after it. It was mangled. It didn't have the information on it. It didn't have the time. It didn't have anything, really. It was just shoddy. It was bad. It was no good. And they looked at it and thought, I don't want to get involved in that. Sometimes people look at our lives and, you know, it's okay being under grace. But you've got to understand that we're representing Jesus. Is your life an invitation to others? Do they know that something has happened to you since you met Jesus? I told the story Friday night about our neighbours where we, when we first got married in, in uh, Woodbury Downs Estate in Hackney. Woodbury Downs Estate. It was like a NATO protectorate. It was horrible. Filthy, gang-ridden, messed up. Now I was talking to Pastor Dave from London the other day They've gentrified it. He said, they're looking at a building in there next to the lake. I'm like, lake? I remember a giant puddle <laughs> in the car park that the three-legged dogs used to drink from. But we invited them, our neighbors across the way. I remember them. Came to church, we prayed for them, prayed for their off-key son and their broken daughter. Remember the ones upstairs, the, 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 the yardy ones from the yard, getting saved, getting marriage counseling, getting married, coming to church. Remember the ones next door, one of them white garment people. You remember them? You know the, 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 you know the church people that all wear white garments, no shoes and all that stuff, right? 
Then we was able to pray for her. We prayed for the woman, broken, alcoholic, lonely, broken woman downstairs. I only played one song. Two o'clock in the morning. Touch me in the morning. <laughs> prayed for her. She stopped playing that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Studies tell us that the majority of people who receive an invitation will respond if it's positive. When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you invited someone to the well? When was the last time you invited someone to small group? Listen, we've got this evangelist, Barry Woodward, coming in two weeks. He is an evangelist. He has an anointing that people get saved. If you know someone who's lost, if you know someone who's broken or hurting, invite them. I can't invite them. They'd never come. How do you know? You've never tried. Number two, the second thing, taking ownership releases change. Sometimes we want change, but we want it where we don't have to actually participate in it. How many of you know it would be great if we could change our situation and circumstances without actually us having to do anything? That we would take a magic bullet or a magic pill or someone would wave a magic wand. The amount of people I've had come to us and ask us for prayer for their addiction. And we'll pray for them. And they'll get touched by God. But then they've got to go away and stop taking drugs. Are you with me? Stop taking drugs then. You're an addict because you take drugs regularly. I'll pray for you that you can get the, oh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, hallelujah, I feel good, I feel like I can. But then you've got to go away and face the drug. And deal with it. People ask me, pray for their promotion at work. I'm like, No. I don't even know if you're any good. <laughs> I might be praying, God might answer the prayer. You might get promoted and mess everything up. There comes a point when you've got to become a solution to your boss's problem. Then you'll get a promotion. When all of a sudden, you're taking care of the business no one else is taking care of, he's going to look at you and go, ah, let's put that person in place. Right? So there comes a point when taking ownership is what it's going to take to release the change that you want to see come. One of the biggest causes of frustration in life comes about because people don't take, don't, don't, don't take ownership of the opportunities that present themselves. And then there's frustration. Well, I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I haven't got the right job. I haven't got the right spouse. You ain't even single yet, man. You want to get married, you still got Smacky Jackie and Scary Mary and, 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 and you know, Build a Badger and Six Pack Stephen and, you know. I think Stephen's got a six pack. Huh? Gigolo James or, you know, you still got someone, you still got all these numbers. Come on, somebody. You still got all these numbers. You still got all this. Get, get rid of that stuff. Be single, be focused. Be focused on your, on your calling. Face the opportunity. But be right. Be ready. Take ownership. Problems come when everybody thinks somebody else should do what needs to be done. And then nobody does what needs to be done, so nothing gets done. Because people don't take ownership. They want to delegate. They think they're delegating things. No, you're abdicating things. This is your job, man. You do it. Well, I'm getting other people to do it. No, no, no. You need to do it. Take ownership. This is your salvation. This is your calling. God's going to call you to account one day for what you did with what he gave you. It's okay to complain. It's okay to moan about relationships and environments. But are you willing to do something to change them? What are you going to do? It's always easy to cast the blame, right? This church, that person, this leader, her, him, she, they. What about you? People in this story owned their encounter. And it brought transformation to their lives and their environment. Verse 40, we read it again. It says, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay. There was that hunger, that desire. 
but I want to get to know this person too. I don't know about you, but when I was in the men's home, I was in the Victory Home in London back in 1996. I was in there, I graduated. When I went in, there were 18 men in that place, 18, from all different backgrounds. Some of them I knew. Some of them we had beef with in the day. We was looking at it. Some of them came and went. Some of them went and took someone else. Some of them wanted to justify how they were smoking on the sly because you're not allowed to smoke in our homes. You know what people would do? Because we're, we're like total abstinence. Don't smoke because it's an addiction. You know, you're trying to get rid of crack, crack cocaine and heroin addiction and alcohol. Don't smoke. It's like the, 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 the piercing bit of the, not, the dagger of addiction that goes in. Don't smoke. So you know what people would do? Sometimes we'd be walking down the shops and you see someone get down to tie up his laces. And he was wearing loafers. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and he was tying up his laces right next to a cigarette butt. And he'd pick the cigarette butt up and stick it in his sock. And then he'd go away and you'd see him sneaking away somewhere, trying out the back or something. And, and they'd have this little sneaky smoke of this butt and he'd come back in like, how oh, I'll beat the system. Dude, you just picked up a cigarette butt that someone spat out of their mouth who could have had herpes, who, who, who could have had bad breath. You don't know where that was from. They spat it out on the floor that rats have probably run across. Still got lipstick on it, dude. And there you are thinking you've beat God and you've beat the system. You're so clever. It boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. But when I was there, I was like, you know what? I've seen my pastor, Pastor Mitchell, was a drug addict, and he got set free. He looks like a white golfing businessman. <laughs> These other dudes in front of me, this dude, the big lump with a big moustache, was a, uh, not even an alleged Mexican mafia assassin. There was some other dude that was this, some other gang leader, some other blood, blood that was on gear for 10 years. Someone else had been on crack. Someone else was this. And they were loving God. They were living for God. They were living right. And I'm like... You, you go and suck on your little cigarette butt, your sausage. <laughs> Jesus, if you can do for me what you did for them, then I want to get to know you for myself. You did it for them and that's good, but I want you to do it for me. I need you to do this for me. The pastors have this story, different people have these testimonies, but what about me? Some people have a testimony about how they got a new house, they got a new job, they got a new career, their marriages were reconciled, their kids got saved, this happened, they were healed from this. And I've got this situation, and I've heard their testimony, and it's brought me face to face with you, Jesus. Now I want you to do for me what you did for them. That's what the men did, that's what the people did. They came and they begged him. They begged him. That's not passive. That's aggressive language. Are you with me? That's humble language. It's not like stay if you, stay if you want. And I'm not sure, you know, but if you... It's like you better stay, otherwise I ain't doing it. If you don't go with us, we ain't going. It's that type of language. Are you with me? And what, what, what happened was Jesus was like, yeah, I found someone. I found a group of people that have a little bit of hunger, that have a little bit of faith. I found people that when I said reach out your hand, they gave me the withered one. I can heal that. I've found people that are open with their brokenness. They know they haven't got it together. They can't fix their own wounds. They're not healing them their own selves. They can't feel their own need. I've found some people, and we can do some work here with these people. And he said, you know what it says? It said that he stayed with them for two days. Check it out. Have you ever wondered what, he, what was happening in them two days? When Jesus has turned up. And they're sitting at his feet and he's telling them stories. And just his aura and his, his grace and his, his ability to just minister to every single people. To change atmospheres. I wonder if any of them got healed. I wonder if any of them got delivered. I wonder if any of them, their minds changed, their lives changed. One day we're going to meet them in eternity. Imagine that one day you're going to be in eternity with your glorified body that you no longer need to bubble wrap. And you're there 
and you're walking along and you start talking to this really, really interesting dude. And you say, where are you from? He says, I was there in Sikar. I was there in Samaria. I was there when the woman come back and started to testify. She's over there, by the way. It was because of her testimony that I came and I begged Jesus to stay in the village. And you know what? He stayed with us two days, man. And I got to hear him. I got to know him. I got to be around him. And it became real to me. And there came a point when I didn't believe anymore just because of a second-hand experience. But I believe because my life was changed. My heart was warmed. My mind was blown. That's what happened to me. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians says that. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Then there's a result of that. There's a result of that. You've got the mask over your nose and mouth. You're breathing in some oxygen. There's a result of that. You help someone else out. But watch what he says. It says in verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2, do everything without complaining and arguing. Oh, we failed immediately. Come on, somebody. Some people can't do anything without moaning and complaining. Right? It's just a natural language. It's moaning and complaining. It just spits out of them. But he said, if you've been working out your own salvation, if it's a real thing, if you're owning it, if you're taking a, a, a look at your own sin, if you're dealing with your own brokenness, if you're knowing that, that, that there's a fixing that needs to happen and only God can do it, then you're not going to moan and complain about anyone else because you're worse than them. You realize that? I came to a point in my walk where I realized I'm worse than anyone else. I can't look down on them. I can see what they're doing wrong, but I've got this big plank in my eye I've got to get out. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. You lose credibility when all you do is blame everyone else. Because the person you're moaning to has to come to the realization at some stage that if you're moaning to them about other people, you're going to be moaning to other people about them. Because it's just in you to do it, man. You're just broken and messed up and twisted. Right? So one day people smell the coffee. That's why people like that never end up with any friends. Then he, he, he finishes with this. Live clean. Live clean. Innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. In other words, own it. Become a true representative of Jesus. Don't just do this when someone is there checking on you. Do it because it's your life that's on the line. Do it because it's your testimony that needs to be guarded so that it will keep being able to invite other people to Jesus. Don't compromise. Don't lose credibility. Do it because God is in you, helping you to do it. They told the woman something amazing. They said, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. We owned it. It's mine. This church ain't just mine and Vicky's. This church is for everyone who says, this is mine. This church is a well of, of life. It's a center of community where people step up, meet with God, bring their families, set up camp, and then start digging their own wells, just like Isaac did. That's what you have to do. You have to own it. And when you own it, you start getting involved in it. Instead of pointing out all the things that are wrong, you say, how can I help? Instead of knowing that we can't do stuff because there's no, not enough money, you say, well, you know what? I haven't been giving. Let me start giving and become part of the solution. Or we haven't got enough people on man, manpower for the teams. You know what? I've got a bit of spare time. Uh, what can I do to help? Your, your, your language goes from this is wrong to how can I help? Your language goes when you own it for yourself to this is not good enough to how can I make it good enough? There's a shifting. And when that happens... 
When that happens, you realize that you're safe. You realize what salvation brings. And that begins to pour out of you and changes your environment. They responded to the woman's invitation. They turned up, they personalized the experience. And then number three, last one, worship team can come. Your response makes room for revival. Your response makes room for revival. I wonder if that woman and those Samaritans knew what their decisions to take ownership of their encounters with Jesus would enable in the future. Would you? Look at me right now. Would you? Here's a question for you. Would you? Say, who me? Say, who me? Just checking that you're connected. Would you make different decisions if you had a better understanding of the consequences of your decision, both good and bad? How many of you have made stupid decisions that you regret? Come on. How many of you have got some regret in your life? How many of you would, li- would rather live a life where you don't regret and try to forget what you've done but you receive the fruit and the benefit and the blessing for what you've done. These people's decisions at that time, in that moment, over those couple of days, opened the door for an amazing move of God in their city. Got to understand, man, if you mock God and take his grace and mercy for granted, you bring destruction on your own life. And you'll lose things that are good for your life. The law of reciprocity works across the board. But if you trust God with your life, if you obey his instructions, you'll gain those things that will bless your life. Things like character, credibility, and connections. A year went by after this encounter. Over a year. They're just getting about with their own business. Their lives have been changed. Their lives have been transformed. Their city is probably, you know, experiencing a little bit of change, a little bit of shaking. Maybe they've kind of forgot the experience or hidden because in that period after they encountered Jesus, Jesus was arrested, tried as a criminal, crucified, put in a grave, but then resurrected. All sorts of confusion goes on sometimes after we've had an encounter and owned it. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand you know, God's good and he'll take you through, but when you get saved, it ain't just going to be a bed of roses, right? There's going to be all sorts of things that come in to test the, the legality and the veracity and the truthfulness of what it is that you've owned. So be prepared for that, right? They went through that, but over a year went by. And we find another man that had had an encounter. Another man that had been filled with the Spirit. Another man that was empowered to go and be a witness and to testify. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to leave this story here for now. Verses 4 through 8, it says, The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. There's madness that came after all this. There's always a bit of madness that comes when you decide to take ownership. You're going to be tested. It's going to happen, but... But, but don't worry. Jesus wouldn't put you in a test or allow you to go for a test he didn't believe you were prepared for. A year went by, this dude Peter was out with all of the rest of them. They're scattered from Jerusalem. They're being persecuted. And they're out, but they're not hiding. They're preaching. Big difference when you've encountered God for yourself. They were preaching the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Verse 5, it says, Philip went to the city of Samaria. Philip, this dude, filled with the Spirit of God, went to the city of Samaria, the same place that Jesus had been to a year previous. The same place where the woman got saved. The same place where all the people came out and got saved. A remnant, an investment, a seed. He said he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. There was an openness, man. 
It wasn't unusual. It wasn't unnatural. This was something that they'd heard about a little bit before. They were kind of, they'd, 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 they'd been set up for this. Are you with me? Your life might be setting up revival for your family. Your life might be setting up revival in your city. Your life change, your ownership might be setting up revival to come and take place to more people than you could even dream of. And the reason why when they get their opportunity that they're open is because they've seen you and heard you and heard your testimony. Verse 7. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many drug addicts were saved in Glasgow because of John's testimony. Many drug addicts were saved in Dublin because of Paul's testimony. Many mothers were saved because of your testimony. Many sons were saved because of your testimony. Many daughters, many... Are you with me? Can you follow this? Right? Delivered, set free. Many had been paralyzed, stuck, or lame, weren't going anywhere. They were healed. So there was great joy in this city. That place that was known for its compromise, its confusion, where a broken woman encountered Jesus at a well and got fixed, where her testimony invited others to take ownership of his offer of salvation. That same place now experiences the power of God to release people from the darkness that had held them captive for years. That one encounter with Jesus that was responded to, that was owned, ended up seeing people get set free from demonic influence and physical healing was taking place. Would you stand with me right now? I'm just going to pray, worship the Lord. This year is about that encounter. At the regionals, we put out a challenge to all the churches that in this year of 2023, that we're going to see expansion by a thousand people in our churches. A thousand people, six churches, a thousand people. Can we do that? Can we see that? You think we can see that thousand people? You think there's 80 odd thousand people go watch Man United? Are you with me? Surely a thousand people to come to meet the Messiah. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take ownership. It ain't going to be about somebody's going to reach them. It's going to be, be about, here I am, Lord. Use my life. Use me to encourage. Use me to reach. Use me to teach. Use me to train. Use me to give. Use me to live. Use me to create environments. Use me, God. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hands. And just right where you're at as we begin to worship, I want you to take ownership of your experience. I want you just to take ownership of your future. I want you to take ownership of what God has given to you. I want you to take ownership and just say, here I am, Lord, use me. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it entails. I don't know where it's going to take me, but God, here I am. Come on, lift up your hands and begin to sing. Begin to worship. Begin to let God seal this. Spirit of God is going to whisper into your ears. I want you. I'm looking for you. Some of you need to get back in the game. Someone else is relying on you to help them put on their mask. Spirit of God, would you flow in this place right now?
Take ownership. Take ownership. We take ownership, oh God. There's a place for you. It's empty without you. You're a pixel in the big picture and when you're absent from that place, it's empty. God's going to use your life for His honour and His glory. He's going to use your testimony, whatever it is, your story. He's going to use it. If you want to respond to this message, just come out to this altar right now and just lift up your hands and say, here I am, God. Come and make an altar before your God and say, here I am. I'm here in obedience. Use my life. May my life count in my city, in my nation. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.